1: Hey Aaron, it's Ben. So Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? A lifetime. How fitting then that we're the hosts of the A Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. A Lifetime in NASCAR highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from a couple of NASCAR historians, namely myself, Aaron Burns, and my buddy Ben White. We're going to discuss contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've seen and heard through the years. You'll learn about where the sport has been, where it will go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. So, Ben, um, you know, there's been a lot of cool things that have gone on in the, the NASCAR season this year. Um, you know, certainly a lot of change. Which, which is you know, which can be good, can be bad, but um, a bit of a somber topic in in recent days, as uh, we lost somebody who was a hero of mine, and uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss him to kind of get this podcast going. Was the legendary announcer Bob Jenkins, who I think a lot of race fans grew up listening to, if you're anything like me. He announced NASCAR from about 1981, 82 through the year 2000 on ESPN, and he was also very much even more widely known as an announcer for the indianapolis 500 every year in his beloved native state of indiana um ben i grew up wanting to be bob jenkins i wanted to do what bob jenkins did Uh, from the time i I could you know really talk coherently as coherent as i've ever been able to speak i pretended to to announce races um i'd get my cards on the couch and pretend i was bob jenkins calling the race me he has to World with the die-hard starting grid that you remember from the 90s um that guy was just an absolute hero to me and there were many cases where um if somebody asked me like who are a few people that, that you haven't met you'd like to meet and bob jenkins almost always on that list and unfortunately he was i've been very lucky to meet a lot of those people i'd like to meet and it got to the point to where you know during this year he was close to the top and It's very unfortunate that we've lost him this year. He was 73 years old, had such a huge impact on the sport, not just on race fans who listened to him, but on the drivers and the team owners and the crew members and the the track personnel, the media who got a chance to come in contact with him. And we saw some very poignant tributes on social media and on television recently, which I thought was really nice. Um, But, you know, for you, Ben, um, I'm not sure if you ever interacted with Bob or were lucky enough to do that, but certainly, you know, somebody who was really an icon in his field.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I I didn't know Bob personally. I did interact with him just a tiny bit uh, in some of the back uh, scenes type, you know, venues that we would get to from time to time. But, you know, talking about announcers, these there's some very iconic announcers that come to mind, such as, say, Bob Montgomery from the 60s. There was Barney Hall. Sure. Of course, Ken Squire. Neil Bonnet. When I print when I put and I'll put Bob Jenkins in that very elite group of folks and and when I say those those people, those people would come to mind as the people who could immediately get behind the microphone and you would know exactly uh, the the station that you needed as far as, hey, that's the race station, that's the place I need to be, when you were going through the dial as far as getting on uh, to, to To try to find where you needed to be riding down the road or or on the right channel, or say, on television. And I remember, Bob, early in the game when ESPN was very, very new to NASCAR in the early 80s and even to the point where uh, ESPN was so new that it was Bob Jenkins and, and Larry Newber. If you remember the name Larry Newber and oh yeah, it was so—I mean, so uh, somewhat. Forgive me for saying, but a little bit primitive because it, it they was were very so. Much was and Larry
1: Newber yeah. had a hell of
2: a mustache, by the way. <laughs> he did. He sure did. And they were—they were new to NASCAR, but you know, Bob Jenkins sort of helped usher. ESPN and Bob did, uh, Larry Niebuhr did too, and and brought them into the fold as far as bringing you know ESPN to NASCAR, NASCAR to ESPN, and but yeah, he was so good as far as his delivery, and and you know that's the thing, some announcers. Uh, they didn't really understand NASCAR and they, you know, you, as they say, you fake it till you make it. Well, those guys, you can't do that. I mean, these guys knew exactly what they were doing and I put them in, I put them in that very elite group right there. Like I say, with Barney Hall, Bob Montgomery uh Neil Bonnett coming off of the racetrack was so so good in the in the booth, mm-hmm. and and you uh, know uh, of course Ken Squire and he was Bob was so good at what he did and I was so saddened to see this morning when I was looking through headlines uh, that he had passed away of cancer and after a, a hard fought battle you know back in 2012 his his wife Pam uh, had also battled cancer and he left the broadcast booth to to be at her side. And and then we've lost him today, I think. So our I think it, was, uh, prayers... it was Monday, Monday the 9th, I think it was. Oh, okay, yeah. And our 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 hearts are broken uh, at his loss, and our thoughts and prayers are with his family. And you know, but as I've said so many times, the beauty, the real beauty of this business. Uh, is that we go back and we are able to listen to all these broadcasts, and we we miss them terribly, but we can always go back and listen to those great races that they've called, and so many come to mind uh, for him, uh, not only for NASCAR, but as you pointed out, uh, going back to so many broadcasts of the Indianapolis 500. And I think I read today, quickly, I read today how he had only missed a couple of uh, Indianapolis 500s since he was a, a teenager, and of course he was able to to use his voice to bring the Indianapolis 500 to so many millions of people around the world for decades and i tell you what, just a very talented person Uh, on the racetrack as far as bringing the race to people and also just off the track. What what an incredible individual he was, and he'll certainly be missed, but we can visit with him anytime we want to by getting on the computer and and on the internet and listening to those great races that he called.
1: Yeah, and and there's so many. Um, As you were talking, I was trying to think of some of my favorite Bob Jenkins calls um, throughout history and how we were really lucky that, um, when ESPN lost its NASCAR coverage in 2000, we still got to enjoy Bob Jenkins at Indianapolis 500. And then when NBC SN picked up IndyCar in 2012 and, and really a couple years before that, when it was on versus, um, Bob Jenkins was calling some IndyCar races and I was just so happy to hear him. I could listen to Bob Jenkins call a pig race and be super happy. <laughs> I could listen to him call a lawnmower race, any kind of race. I would love it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, You know, it's very sad that we've lost him. Um, But just, you know, trying to think back to some of the great calls he had. Certainly, I think a lot of people remember, and we talked about it in the last episode about uh, North Wilkesboro 1989. You know, Rudd and Earnhardt go down to the corner and both of them spin. That that was, uh, you know, and uh, and Jeff Bodine takes the lead, is what Ned Jarrett says. That was a great one. Uh, I think a lot of people will remember Jeff Gordon winning the first Brickyard 400. Um, yes. And Bob Jenkins yep. call of that finish as well. Uh, he had uh, he had one. I remember I think it was ninety nine at Bristol when Terry Labonte was tearing through the field and passed everybody. And then Dale Earnhardt uh, got into him, you could say, on um, on the, the the last lap there. Terry, Terry Labonte's leading. Dale Earnhardt gets into him. And I just remember Bob Jenkins saying, look at Labonte go. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. you know, oh, and Earnhardt. Then he just pauses for a second, spins him out. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, um, you know, Aaron, there's another one that comes to my mind it, that the 1980, excuse me, 1985 Southern 500 when Bill Elliott won the Winston Million. And Bob and Larry Neuber were there for that one, too. And, and just how incredible that was to see Elliott Pull off the Winston Million because you know nobody thought uh, anybody could do it, especially R.J.R. because they weren't even prepared to pay the money.
1: Yeah,
2: and uh, they actually had to pay Bill to do it for winning the Daytona Five Hundred the winston 500 and they pulled off the southern 500 did not get the 600 that year because of some i believe some brake issues i think's is what it was but but yeah bob was there to call that one and you know one that comes to mind too i kind of on a funny note it wasn't so funny at the time but a fan had actually gotten into the pace car at talladega i think it was 85
1: maybe i think it was
2: 86 85 was,
1: 86 yeah i think you yeah and
2: yeah, and a fan decided, hey, the keys are in the <laughs> in the in the base car, I'm gonna take it for a lap or two and he had probably had way too many uh was his favorite beverage, I'm sure he did. And Bob called that. It was before the race had yep. started and But says, just no. before it. Just before, yeah. And and Bob said, Well, we have a little incident going on here. We have a fan who has decided to take a ride in the base car. And that's the first time that I know of that that had ever happened. Of course it was kind of at the time, not so funny, but looking back at it now, I had police cars behind him, and they he had taken a, a, a 175 mile an hour tur- lap around the track. Of course, they blocked it. Uh, not so happy when they stopped. Uh, I'm not sure how long he stayed in the uh, Talladega County Jail, but uh, that wasn't so funny. But yeah, he just and that was what was so cool about Bob. He didn't get overly excited. Uh, Excited, what he needed to, I guess, but great delivery, uh, very good at what he did, and uh, but I I think what impressed me the most about Bob was he was just, you know, he had a a special, special type of delivery in the the way that very unique, very unique, yeah, it was, and it was a very, uh, it wasn't above the fan, Uh, it was just a down home sort of delivery. That's the best way I can describe it. And I'm a fan, also. You're a fan, but I'm going to give you as much information as I can. I'm going to, you know, because you're not at the race, you're watching on TV. But I'm going to give you the mo- as, as much as I can. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. I think he,
1: he, presented yeah, he, he presented the sport. Yeah, he presented the sport, like you said, Ben, in a way that he didn't speak over you. Right. He spoke mm-hmm. to you, and right, that's exactly. a difficult thing for a broadcaster to do. And and I don't think it's something that some people have an ability to do for a myriad of reasons but bob jenkins it came naturally to him um and and it you know just made him into a special person who means a lot to a lot of people and i think uh very much a lot of the millennial crowd of of nascar fans who grew up watching the sport um when they think of a moment from the 90s in most cases unless it was on cbs they think of bob jenkins voice with it and I, i know i certainly do
2: yeah, he was just a great individual and and someone we, we're gonna miss dearly, but as I said, and I'm so thankful for the fact that we have audio-video that we can go back and enjoy those moments again and uh, And I've said that many times, but we're very blessed to be able to we have to say goodbye to some of these people that are iconic to the sport but they'll live on and through the audio video that we have. And that's, that's, that's a blessing to everybody, I believe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that Bob, uh, Bob Jenkins lent his voice to the game, um, Andretti racing that I got on my first PlayStation 1996. And I just like flipped out when I realized that like, not only do you have the Andrettis in this game and you had, IndyCars and NASCAR cars you also had Bob Jenkins announcing the stock car version of the races and Uh Derek Daly doing it for IndyCar oh man that was that was something because uh you know at that time you didn't have um a that was really one of the first I think technologically advanced games that included like little video clips of the announcers and it was just fascinating for nine-year-old me to uh you know, to, to discover that and to have my favorite broadcaster on that video game. So, you know, there's just a lot of cool stories of him. Uh, The drivers spoke so glowingly of Bob Jenkins. And I think that, that says a lot because a lot of the times I I think the drivers can be pretty insulated from the broadcasters, whether that's by the driver's design or the broadcaster's design, because they're not hearing them announce because they're in the car.
2: But Mm -hmm. that's true.
1: The fact that he developed such a rapport in the garage area in NASCAR, and the paddock in IndyCar, to use the correct terminology. Um, that speaks to his, his passion for the sport. They saw that he wasn't somebody just there to collect a check. He wasn't there to move up higher in the world. He reached the zenith of his career fairly early on by getting with the ESPN and by getting with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network. And that's where he wanted to be. That's what he did. And you've got to really respect somebody like that who pursued his dream and got to that point, didn't feel like he needed to parlay it into something bigger that that maybe paid more because he had all the satisfaction that he wanted right where he was.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. And, you know, uh, you know, Bob is someone that you had a great deal of respect for, as I did as well. But as someone you grew up with in the same way that Barney Hall is sure. sort of my my guy. And, yeah. and I had the honor of writing a book with Barney. A few years back, before he passed away. So yeah, I totally and I totally understand that. And and I think that respect that you're talking about is, you have to have the ability uh, to know what you're talking about behind the microphone. You can sound great, and you can sound authoritative uh, behind the microphone, but you gotta know what you're talking about. You gotta be able to to uh, convey the the truth to the fans. And some people, you know, you, you might want to sugarcoat some things or or maybe not be exactly right in in some of their deliveries but both Barney Hall and Bob Jenkins were very good about telling exactly what was going on and you have to condense some of that information down to where you can't get too wordy about it but you got to be able to tell what it is that's going on on the racetrack and in such a way that you have to be able to uh, bring it to the fans and and you know, explain it in in a condensed sort of way, if that makes any sense, and and make it make sense, and and Bob was able to do that, and uh, and so was Barney. So yeah, it's you have to, it's a real talent. It's it's tough to do, and you have to and uh, you have to bring it in such a way that that it makes sense, and and he was and Bob and Barney both were very good at that.
1: Well, speaking Ben of of people who who present things in NASCAR very well and and make it make sense. Uh, a couple of our friends, as a part of the a po- a part of the Out of the Groove podcast network, uh, got to give a shout out to uh, to our guys Noah and Eric. Um, love to have you guys check out their podcast as well. Um, if you're here for NASCAR history, a lifetime in NASCAR is your spot. If you want to talk about something or listen to something a little newer, then Noah Talks NASCAR features creator Noah Cornelius interviewing folks from around the NASCAR industry about their journey from drivers to musicians. Follow at Noah C. Cornelius on Twitter so you never miss a show. And also, while you're at it, check out the NASCAR Weekly Podcast. It's live every Wednesday and features your favorite NASCAR YouTubers discussing all the hot storylines of the week, giving their hot takes. Subscribe to The Iceberg, Danny B. Talks, Black Flags Matter, and Eric Estep on YouTube and never miss one of those shows either because they're definitely something you don't want to miss. Too much fun to listen to those guys offer a uh, a whole lot of analysis on, on some of the more recent things now to uh to switch back into to pass mode ben um you know we 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 message each other a little bit about this and it's something it's one of the biggest subjects in in the history of nascar it's very much more um more prevalent more relevant now um then it has been you know probably the last 10 years uh female drivers in nascar has become more of a i'm not going to say a hot button issue i don't know that there's many good or bad opinions about it i just think it's become a bigger part of the conversation and you know i think with that we sh- need to talk about some of the great females who have been a part of this sport and who are part of the sport right now and and how they're gonna you know influence the future of nascar in the short and long term oh yeah absolutely and you know,
2: back in the very beginning days of of NASCAR, there was some very talented female drivers uh, that that said, "Hey, I want to try this." And uh, Bill France Sr., who was the founder of NASCAR, said, "Sure, why not?" And and one of the reasons he liked the idea was because, I mean, he was in the business to sell tickets, and and he's like, "Sure, I mean, let's try this." And so. You know some some names you know come to mind. Sarah Christian uh, was one of the very first uh, female drivers uh, that came into NASCAR. She had seven starts, one top five. Not that many starts, but I mean from from what I've seen as far as the uh, statistics on Racing Reference, I mean she did well for the seven starts she did. Did have a one you know one top five. Uh, Louise Smith had eleven starts at 1949, 50, and 52. Uh, but she also did extremely well, maybe not in the NASCAR ranks, but she had 30, 38 wins in late models, modifieds, uh, and sportsmen in the midgets division as far as the uh, those go. And, I mean, she did very well for herself. And there's a story that, that's, you know, she loved to tell the story back in 1949 on the Daytona Beach road course. Uh, she took her husband's. A uh, brand new Ford, a 49 Ford, down to Daytona to watch the race. She actually wasn't going to race, and uh, Bill France Sr. talked her into driving the car in the race. Well, as it turned out, the brand new Ford that she entered, she flipped it, and so not so good. And as it turned out, the her hometown of Greenville, South Carolina, newspaper. Uh, featured photographs of the wreck and everybody in town back in Greenville knew about it before she got back home. Needless to say, I don't think her husband was extremely happy about the crash. But <laughs> yeah, um, so uh when she got gets back home and I'm not exactly sure how she and the car got back to Greenville, it was pretty badly torn up. She wasn't hurt to my knowledge, but she did, you know, break some bones. And at one time, I think she did get if I read correctly, 47 stitches at one point Jeez. in one crash. Yeah, so, but, I mean, she she did very well. Like I said, she won 38 races in other types of, of you know, like late models, modifieds, the midget division, uh the open wheel cars, the sportsman cars. So, so yeah, she had a great deal of success to the point where she is uh, was inducted into the, uh, International Motorsports Hall of Fame in 1999, so uh, I mean, she's, she was very well received as far as a race driver back in the 40s, and like I say, she didn't stay in NASCAR for just a few years, but for many years, so uh, uh, everyone in the garage here knew who, who Louise Smith was, and of course she had Janet Guthrie uh, in the late 70s, and a, a lot of different uh, female drivers that did well, And and uh,
1: so i got to back up before you move to Janet Guthrie and just uh, discuss um, uh, the fact that these, these drivers you mentioned, Louis Smith and Sarah Christian, Ben, were racing at a time when, like, you know, I think society kind of thought women belonged in the kitchen. And not only were they yeah. working a job, they were driving a race car. That is such yeah. a huge trailblazing accomplishment for both of them.
2: Oh, absolutely, and and they they were very good at, at driving race cars on the racetrack. And you're exactly right. And and they're like, well, why are you driving a race car? Because I want to, and this is what I want to do. And and that was the mentality. But when they got on the racetrack, they actually were winning against guys. They were finishing ahead of them. And yeah, they they had some talent behind the wheel of the race cars. And so yeah, and. And I'm sure they probably took some grief in the garage about you shouldn't be here, you're supposed to be at home, you know, washing dishes or whatever the case is. And they're like, no, I'm gonna, I want to, to race. And matter of fact, there was another one, Ethel Mobley, who was, uh, I believe the sister of Tim Flock, who is a NASCAR champion, she was out there racing. So, hey, I mean, more power to them. If they could drive a race car better than the guys could, all well and good, and, and like I said, Bill France Sr. thought, great, what a great way to sell tickets, and you know, the wives of the drivers wanted to go out there, and the, and the men too, they bought tickets, they wanted to see how these women were going to do uh, on the racetrack, and they, a lot of times, finished obviously better than some of the drivers did, so the, the male drivers.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and then, um, you know, there was a, a period of time where there, there wasn't a superstar female driver in the country. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, seemingly out of nowhere to the NASCAR nation, at least, there's Janet Guthrie qualifying for the Indianapolis 500 and then showing up to race Humpy Wheeler, Charlotte Motor Speedway's longtime promoter from the early 70s through 2008, gets her to come race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, too. And, uh, you know, I think some people were thinking when she qualified Indianapolis, what kind of what kind of you know stunt is this? What, kind of, what are they doing for publicity? And she belonged there. She proved that very quickly, didn't she?
2: Well, she did very much so. And uh, you know, you know, let's let's give Humpy credit. You know, he loved to do things to put people in the stands. And a lot of people thought back in in the late seventies, oh, this is another one of Humpy's uh, stunts to get people to buy tickets. Well. Uh, might have been about 10 or 15% to that, but, but Janet Guthrie could drive a race car. There's no question about it. She, she had first attempted the uh, Indianapolis 500 in 1976 but didn't qualify. And so immediately, Humpy gets on the telephone and tries to get uh, Janet to come to Charlotte. And she really, at first, was thinking, no, I don't want to drive stock cars. And finally, things developed to where he he did finally get her to do that but i mean she was no slouch as far as her uh, her education i mean she was an aerospace engineer after graduating from the university of michigan and with a degree in physics in 1960 uh, and so she was she was very very smart but i mean she was very much into driving uh, scca circuit and jaguars there and i mean she was very very good as far as being able to drive a race car and handle race cars, So, you know, she finished very well. And when well, she did get into in 600, and I mean, and let's face it, I mean, I don't remember exactly where she finished, but it was a good finish. And um, so, I mean, she was very good as far as the stock car goes. And uh, back in 2019, she was inducted into the, Na- in the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame. Uh, again, another female driver that yeah. did very well, and then she went to uh, she finished sixth at Bristol in 1977. Now that that is quite an accomplishment, and that's with to, no power steering in those race cars, too. Yeah, exactly. This is we're talking about the the 3,700 pound cars, but we're talking about these big tank cars, no power steering, big big cars, this the Lagunas and the Dodge Chargers and the you know, those types of race cars back in the late 70s, a handful to drive and to, you know, to be able to finish sixth at Bristol. Wow. I mean, think about that a minute. That was that was quite a quite an accomplishment, I think.
1: Absolutely. And Ben, um, the, the funny story that, that Humpy Wheeler told before was that uh, when he got um, Janet Guthrie to come out to Charlotte to race, you know, sold more tickets to the race, certainly, and is really excited for it. Well, they didn't have enough, you know, that the race comes and goes. They didn't have enough bathrooms. for There was only like a couple of bathrooms for women at the whole racetrack because most mm-hmm. of the time men just took their friends or their kids to get, or their sons to go with them or their dads. <laughs> so they didn't anticipate there being a huge influx of female race fans to attend the race. When Janet Guthrie raced at Charlotte, and they were very much surprised by that, and had to add some infrastructure uh, immediately to uh, to kind of satisfy the demand of the fact that there were so many women going to the races to see her compete, which is really oh, cool. Yeah.
2: yeah, and and Humpy will tell you in a heartbeat that, that that's the one number one thing that you have to do if you're going to run a speedway is make sure that you have accommodations to, to uh, in as far as uh, restrooms for. for for females, I mean that's the number one. You got to have that, and male and female. That's the number one thing you have to have. If they you got to go get somewhere it, to talk, man. I mean, you got to have. <laughs> you just have to have that. Yeah. Uh, and and any in a racetrack, that's the number one thing. And if they're not working, you got a problem. Whether and that's more so than your concessions, and more so than than the track, more so than the rain delay. I mean, that's yeah. the number one thing you have to have, and that that makes the most sense. But you know, I mean, Janet Guthrie did an excellent job uh, behind the wheel of, of everything she drove. And, you know, and it was because she knew so much about aerodynamics. She knew so much about engineering. Sh- and plus the fact she was just a great race driver uh, at anything she drove. And and there was some drivers that had on before she got into in a stock car at at Charlotte and Bristol, they didn't think she could do it. They, like everyone else, thought, oh, this is another one of Humpy's stunts. After the race was over, they're like, okay, I've got some respect for her. And there were some top drivers that thought she should not be out there racing with them. And then at the end of the day, they're like, well, okay. She, She proved that she should be here and she did a fine job. And, you know, Ralph Moody, who was with Holman Moody, was part of that operation, Fielding a car for her, and and th- she had a top car, but she was no slouch when it came to being able to put a car out there and and raced hard uh, against the the guys, the top runners, and she she had a respectable finish.
1: Absolutely, and uh, we're going to talk about several of these drivers uh, in in, in th- this episode. But so I don't leave anybody out. Here's a list, Ben, of uh, the, all the female drivers to have uh, made at least one start in the Cup Series since 1949. Um, unofficial list, but we're going to go down the list because I don't want to leave anybody out in this no more than you do, for sure. Um, so you had Christine Beckers, Ann Bunselmeyer, and Chester, Sarah Christian, who we've discussed, Janet Guthrie, who we are discussing now, a lady named Arlene Hiss, Laura Lane, um, Marta Leonard, Lella Lombardi, Robin McCall, Ethel Mobley. That's a cool one, man. Why are there not more NASCAR drivers named Ethel? That's just a cool name. Patty Moise, Marion Pagan, Goldie Parsons, Danica Patrick, Shauna Robinson, Fifi Scott, Dorothy Scholl, Ann Slosted, and the great Louise Smith, as you mentioned, Ben. Um, mm-hmm. So it was five years after three, dri- three females competed in one race. That was Christine Beckers, uh, Janet Guthrie, and Lella Lombardi in NASCAR. And then you had a, a few years passed, and there was a driver named Robin McCall who uh, made a couple of starts in the Cup Series and and had a lot of success as a competitive race driver. And Robin McCall, you know who she's married to?
2: Yep, Wally Dallenbach,
1: the great Wally Dallenbach. Because as I said go. before, everything eventually always goes back to Wally Dallenbach in NASCAR. Um, there you go. Yeah. So I just, how cool is it that you had two up and coming race drivers? um, pretty young too at that time. And mm-hmm. they end up together working in it, you know, being part of the industry and, and ending up, uh, you know, I guess falling in love together and, and still competing and all. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. but, uh, so then you had a few years and then, um, we start to get into the eighties and you, 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 began to see, um, a bit more commonplace presence of female drivers in the sport. Um, Beginning with Patty Moise, who ran a whole bunch of races in the then the Busch Grand National Series in the 80s and 90s, Um, drove that orange and blue Purex number 40 car I thought looked really cool. Um, And she made five cup starts. Ben, do you remember? I mean, you covered some of her races. Do you remember? Was there it, it never seemed like she got the level of media attention that Shauna Robinson and later Danica Patrick got? Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, yeah, I would think so. Um, I, I agree with that. I think there was just, um, I'm not sure why either. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know that. Uh, I don't i don't know if it was the era of racing. I, I'm not really sure why that would be the case. Um, that's a good question. Maybe that's something we need to visit. I, I don't know why.
1: Yeah, because what's interesting is that she made more starts in the Xfinity series than any female driver in history.
2: Yeah, and I don't, that, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if it was, I, I don't know, I'm guessing, I don't know if it's marketing, I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I just, you,
1: you feel like that that she, you know, like I said, so from 86 to 98, Patty Moise made 133 starts in the next finish series. Uh, she had four top 10 finishes, driving for various team owners. I think Greg Pollux was one of them for a while. Um came close to finishing the top 20 in points in 1990 and this was, you know, at a time when a whole lot of people ran a full season. Uh the the format of the series was was, you know, markedly different. But um I just thought, I, I always felt like, you know, she kind of flew under the radar maybe more than she deserved.
2: Yeah, I th- I think so and you know there's I I'm, sit, I'm the reason I'm hesitating here. I'm just trying to think in my mind why that would have been the case. I yeah. mean she was she was very marketable, uh, very I, I think attractive. Uh, yeah. Had good sponsorships. Uh, you know, I think I remember a couple of those sponsorships being, you know, very uh, well-known national sponsorships. Purex and Dial, particularly. Uh, and I think Crisco was one of those. Yeah. Uh, you know, too. So I I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, but if I could, I want to go back to Janet Guthrie just for a second. I want to give you just, I, I did look this up while we're talking here. I want to just give you some of the finishes in 1976 at Charlotte. She did finish 15th. Uh, there's a, a 12th place finish at Daytona in 77. I'm just running down the list here An 11th place at Bristol, uh, 11th at Pocono. Um, so I mean, there's some good finishes, 6th at Bristol in 1977, uh, ninth at Charlotte, ninth at Rockingham, 11th at Daytona again, 11th at Daytona again. So, I mean, there was 33 starts uh, in her career mm-hmm. and uh, 5 top 10s uh, in 33 starts, as I said. Uh, so, uh, over a 4-year period from 76 through 1980. So, I think, you know, a very impressive record in, in the cup series and earnings of 79,409 average start was 19th average finish was 19th. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think she had a very good record for the four years that she attempted, uh, you know, starts in the cup series.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, again, the fact that she was really the first mainstream female driver who, um, I think engaged the female audience in motorsports and really showed that like girls can do this too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. Which you know, I don't think you get a Danica Patrick without Janet Guthrie. I don't think no. you get most of these other people. Probably not a Patty Moise without a Janet Guthrie. She was the, you know, I don't think it's uh, it's going overboard, Ben. If I say I think that she was kind of the Jackie Robinson for female drivers in motorsports.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because I mean she did open the door and prove to a lot of skeptics especially some top drivers of the 70s that this is not a fluke this is not uh, a gimmick this is not something just to put you know fans in the seats this this very respected highly respected uh, female driver is serious about her racing and she was serious before she ever came to stock car racing into NASCAR, she obviously had some success in Indy cars and sports car racing and took it very, very seriously before she ever came to NASCAR. It wasn't just a phone call from Humpy Wheeler saying, Hey, let's just do this just for kicks and giggles. No, no, it wasn't that at all. And, uh, like I said, she, she finished way better than a lot of the, of the male drivers did. And, I have a, a, an immense amount of respect for what she accomplished in NASCAR, and and you're right. I think she she did open the door for others to come to the sport and have success in in the sport of NASCAR. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for what she accomplished.
1: And then also speaking of Shawna Robinson, who uh, made eight Cup starts and ran a bunch of, uh, of of Bush Series races, became the first female driver to win a pole in uh, in the Bush Series. Um, she, uh, she has the same birthday as me, at least a date, not the same year, but she's also born November 30th. So I'm partial to mm-hmm. her for that. Um, mm-hmm. and she ran in cup in 2001 and 2002. She drove for Michael Waltrip a little bit as well, as did Patty Moise, as it was, um, heck Patty Moise, Ben, she started racing nationally and she's 16 doing IMSA stuff. That's, you know, that, that's not easy for anybody to do. And I think about myself at 16, um, I, uh, don't think I would have had the, uh, the capability to, uh, to, you know, I, I would have been happy just getting going down the road and, and not wrecking, um, which fortunately, yeah, well, which fortunately I did, but you know, sometimes it ain't that easy when you're 16. Well, my wife says I absolutely cannot back up. Really? <laughs> So she, I think I can. So, you couldn't she be a says, truck. Do you have a, no. a backup camera in your car or your truck? No, no, I so, don't have come that. Oh, man. See, that's why. <laughs> See, you get that, and then it just makes you look good.
2: <laughs> well, she says, I suck when it comes to backing up.
1: Jeez, so a crowd. I oh, know it is. You
2: know, what can I say? But no you know i've got 13 acres and she said you need to pick one and just take your truck out there and try to look try to back up but uh <laughs> she said you need to take a couple of empty coffee cans out there and just not hit one so the ben white right. backup challenge uh, here you go i mean you know i need to i need to do like curtis turner used to do and he he used to uh get some old uh moonshine bottles and and you know, of course, he could he could do a three sixty and between them and not ever hit them. So yeah. you know, what could I say? But so the point I'm trying to make is there are many, many extremely talented female race car drivers. I'm sure that could back up, go forward, whatever they want to do, and do 200 miles an hour and show me completely up. So there you go. But I mean, yeah, and and like I said, the, I admire each and every one of them for being able to uh get out there and mix it up with those guys and beat fenders with them and and outdo them on the racetrack and, and way back in nineteen forty nine and nineteen seventy six and all the young ladies who are out there right now who are very talented and uh, and do a great job on the racetrack. So there you go. Awesome. And I'll con- and I'll continue to try to learn how to <laughs> learn how to back it. I do better than she says I do. So let's just put that out there.
1: All, right, all but, right, man. I mean, I'm not judging. I'm not judging either way. So, I'll just say it. We flash forward. Yeah, go ahead, yes. Ben. No, no, I, 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 just,
2: I just, I am do, I do better than she says I do. So let's put that out there. So well, there you go. We
1: will take your word for it as an audience. Um, okay, thanks. So fast forward eight years from uh, Shona Robinson's last Cup start, in Two, when it was Winston Cup, it's Sprint Cup. Danica Patrick is the biggest star in the IndyCar series. And in late 2009, she decided she's going to start going NASCAR racing uh, with Junior Motorsports and the then Nationwide Series in 2010. And instantly, I mean, it's a, you know, she's already a media darling. And you had a lot of people that, uh, you know, of all these names that I that, that, that I'll rattle off a little bit ago, Ben, definitely she's the most um, divisive figure of all of them because of the notoriety that she attracted and because of the success that begat that notoriety. Um, you know, and, and won an IndyCar race in 2008 in Motegi, Japan, uh, before you know coming over, coming down south to, to race these big body stock cars. And and you know, I remember her first ARCA race at Daytona in 2010. I was in college, and uh, she spun out in a race and uh, recovered, and still got a top 10 finish and did a really good job. This was the days of you know 43 cars in the ARCA field, <laughs> just different time different type of series, different format of the series, different direction of the series, but she was competitive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took her, she struggled in her first year running nationwide. She just struggled about every race. No different than Jimmy Johnson struggled in, in IndyCar. You're racing predominantly on some new racetracks at, you know, at new venues in a car that's completely foreign to you. Um, that That is, to say that's an uphill battle just isn't doing it justice, right? Um, yeah. But Danica stuck with it. And moved up to Cup in 2012. Uh the first cup race I covered as a journalist, the 2012, Coca-Cola six hundred. She was in that race. as one of her first cup starts. And uh and and then I also covered Bristol in the fall 2012. She sharing that too. Um, and you had media people, if you recall this been, you had media people that had, you know, some very negative things to say about her. And then you had some people who were, you know, a thousand percent her corner and um A lot of it centered around the fact that they thought she didn't do a good job of being nice to them as media members. Do remember that? Yeah, I I do vaguely remember that. I mean, uh, um, mean, I'll tell you, my experiences with her were always completely positive. And I think a lot of it goes back to, we've said this about other drivers, too. Specialist said this about our car owner after Dale Junior, Tony Stewart. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you yeah, many times. The, yeah, if you frame the questions well enough, and you're professional about it, and hey, you might even ask them something positive about what they've got going on, even if they're struggling. If you present the questions and you, and you present what you're looking for in a positive format, you'd be amazed at how many times you get more of a positive response and a positive well, answer.
2: Well, that's true, and and and. You're right, but you you get that from being uh, in an everyday conversation with somebody. If you treat people like you want to be treated, then you're, if that's positive, then you're going to get a positive answer. And uh, yeah, and that's true. And I think, uh, you know, if you look at at Danica for her talents on the racetrack and not try to uh, put her in a position of being a female driver, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you would have a, a more positive response, but I mean, yeah, she once she had seven top ten finishes during her career. She had a pole position in the twenty thirteen um, Daytona five hundred. Uh, yeah, I mean she she had her successes in NASCAR. She did not win a race in the Cup Series, no. But I'm like you that the times that I had uh, conversations with her, interviews with her. Uh, she was very kind to me and you're right I think but I never went into conversations looking for the gotcha questions um i I was very respectful of danica and she was very re- respectful of me so Same. and I looked I looked at her as being a professional race car driver I wasn't looking for some way to antagonize her, in, her yeah antagonize her or put her in a box or try to you know, And you you, see people doing that. Yeah, I saw people doing that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I I looked at her as someone who was trying to be a professional race car driver, trying to be successful in the NASCAR Cup Series, and the female angle never – was just never came into play it was the fact that you're here trying to be successful as a cup series driver and i have all the respect in the world for you for doing it, and you've been successful in the indycar series and you're bringing that to the uh, the nascar cup series and i wish you the very best here are my questions
1: yeah and and, and I, I, I liked asking her stuff about i remember there was a, a at media tour a couple people asked her some some you know questions that I'll just say, subjectively, I thought were kind of rude, and um, I asked her more one on more of a positive slant, and she gave a phenomenal response. Talked like a right. man and a half, and I made mean, a whole story out of one to a question. It was fantastic. You, I think most sure. people are, are cap- most drivers are capable of that if they're in a good mood, and uh, and you present it and present it professionally. And uh, but Ben um, Danica is also the architect of uh, you know I spent a lot of time over at the dirt track at Charlotte. It's one of my favorite places, and uh, I handled publicity there for a few years as well. Um, but uh, she was the architect of the hardest laugh I've ever had over there. And to, um, to give some, some background on that, um, Danica and I have a, have a mutual friend um, named Camille who actually used to work out with Danica. And, uh, and so that's how they became good friends, and I became friends with Camille before I knew that her and Danica were good friends too. Well, mm-hmm. another buddy of mine, Hunter Thomas, who you probably know from from covering yeah. NASCAR races as well. Sure Hunter is one of the coolest people on earth. Uh, he's a Clemson yeah. Tigers football fan, but we all have our flaws. Um, Hunter, uh, Hunter, and I covered a lot of races together, and and he's just one of the coolest coolest people. But uh, you know, we we the three of us would you know we'd, we'd cover stuff together, we'd we'd hang out at media tours and stuff like that, in, like the mid two thousand tens and and stuff. It's uh it's it's depressing that that's a previous decade, and I can say that now, but um. So, at the Dirt Track one year, I think Danica was there for for her ex-boyfriend, Ricky Stenhouse, her then-boyfriend, and uh, so I'm in the media center, and Hunter uh, comes up, and uh, yeah, they've been walking around and talking, and so and so I guess he went down there and talked to Camille and Danica, and uh, he just sits down beside me, and is like, just talk to Danica, she called me fat, and... I really wanted to ask, like, you know, the the context of this and, and how how this happened, but the only thing I could do is uh, is just um, just bust out laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, sometimes things like that happen, and yeah, you can't you and just so she really can't. she didn't. You're right. So so what actually happened was, um, she's obviously she's a fitness freak. When I think of the the, the three people in NASCAR, the three NASCAR drivers who are biggest into fitness. You know, um, just physical wellness. Um, I think of Carl Edwards, Danica Patrick, and Jimmy Johnson. Um, so, and and you know, Camille's uh, big into fitness as well, and and Hunter's lost quite a lot of weight. Um, but he didn't need to lose that much in the first place. He, I thought like he was too hard on himself. But to that point, uh, Hunter, like me, is, is somebody who's prone to self-deprecating commentary and jokes, and so they were talking down the pits at, at the dirt track. And, you know, Ben, if you'd never been to the dirt track at Charlotte, the, uh, the grandstands you know, slant down pretty good. Mm-hmm. They, so you have one grandstand that holds about 10,000 people. And, uh, so I guess Danica and, uh, Camille were talking about how, you know, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I ran the stairs a little while before anybody got here, you know, just kind of getting some exercise in, you know, when I could. And Hunter just kind of pipes in just cause he wants to be part of the conversation It's like, um, yeah, I feel like I probably need to, I need to do that too. And, and, and I'll, and Danica's kind of looks at him. She's like, yeah, you probably do. And she didn't mean it to be mean. And her and Camille are laughing. I just got such a kick out of it. <laughs> well, hey, what tell do me we, that. Um, so what do
2: you, what do you think? All right. What do you think she'd say if she saw me, man?
1: I don't know, man, or me, <laughs> but um, no. yeah, I just, it was, I got such a kick out of that. Um, it was so funny. She does have a, a very dry sense of humor Um, Yeah. I thought that that was hilarious, personally. Hunter probably didn't think it was as funny as me, but if he thought it was that bad, he probably wouldn't have told me. It's the first thing he told me when he went back up to the press box, right? That's what we're going to say, at least.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Danica's like 90 pounds soaking
1: wet, and, you know, so, I mean, she probably runs 20 miles a day or something, which I don't. And that's the thing. Danica (laughs) probably runs as much, and we could probably get tired from driving that much. Yeah, (laughs) we probably
2: could, so, I mean... (laughs)
1: Let alone riding a bike, you know. Let's let's not gonna get into that part of it.
2: So I'm certain, I'm certain she would probably give me a hard time. I mean, I'm not that big of a guy. Okay, I'm not like 400 pounds.
1: I know,
2: but at the same time, I don't. I, you know, I think about Jimmy Johnson and say, oh yeah, I drove, I rode, I ran like 20 miles today. It's like. Are you kidding me? He does a race and
1: it's just like, all right, well now I might go for a run for a while too. I mean, you know, I feel like the workout is, and now certainly there's some exceptions, like, you know, when it, it's hotter than yeah, all hell on like, a racetrack, like, but generally here's, here's know, the
2: deal. I'm not even gonna run to the mailbox. When I say when I tell my wife, I'm gonna run out to the mailbox, I'm not gonna run to the mailbox. That's just a phrase. Okay, I'm gonna walk out to the mailbox. I'm not gonna run to the yeah, mailbox. I hear you, man. I totally hear so, you. I'm preaching so the prayer. Yeah, but, you know, talking about another young lady that I think has a huge amount of potential to become a very successful Cup Series driver in the next year, two, three, well, say three, is uh, Haley Deegan. I just, I really like her a lot. And the reason I say that is because I've heard some conversations about how uh, I recently saw something after one of the SRX races. Yeah. Uh, and, and she was talking to Jeff Hammond about how the car was handling after one of those races. i tell you what, she is really, really sharp when it comes to telling her crew chief about how the car is performing and handling on the racetrack. And I'm telling you what, she is a, a great little racer. And I think she's got a huge amount of talent, uh, to go far as far as her, uh, ability on the, and eventually to get to the cup series and be very successful there. But not only that, she's just, you know, very bubbly, turn a cartwheel type person. She just, I'm very impressed with her, not only, uh, as her ability to, like I say, convey what's going on in the race car. Yeah. And what she's doing on the racetrack, but her ability to be sponsor savvy, uh, interview wise. I, I just like her for, I've never met her. But I think in the next three to five years, you're going to see her be a, a top driver uh, in the Cup Series. I really believe that.
1: Yeah, she's got a lot of potential. And um, to that point, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I've i known Haley for more than five years now. Um, the first year I did publicity for the summer shootout at Charlotte, the Legend Car Series, she raced in it. So I, I started talking to her then, and, and this is when she was still, you know, she was, she was dirt Princess. That was her nickname. She's known in racing trophy trucks and um, competing on pavement was a completely foreign thing to her. And legend cars at Charlotte Motor Speedways front stretch quarter mile were that, was, that bridged the gap. And mm-hmm. watching her um, you know in a truck series and, and get used to this, I think it's very smart of, uh, of Ford as a manufacturer to, to have her on board because she does have a whole lot of potential to your point, Ben. She is very savvy. And I think that comes back to having that ability from racing at a young age. Even though it's cars that you may not know very well, um, you you know you can get you can get used to them a little bit easier. You acclimate because you've driven a lot of different things, and that's been the case with her. And I think she's got a lot of potential. Um, and you know you want to see that you want to see that realized absolutely. And I, and I think she's got she's got a chance to get some opportunities that some other female drivers were deserving of. And I'll give you one example, and it's uh, Joanna Long ran in the Nationwide Series for four years from 2012 to 15. I I talked to other drivers, talked to her. She's, you know, super nice girl, super uh, professional, Uh, but she's also, she was very, very talented, and Mm -hmm. uh, she just didn't get an opportunity to truly put that talent on showcase in a super competitive ride. Um, I remember talking with uh, with a couple of of her, you know, fellow drivers at that time, and saying about how, you know, man, if she, she was driving for, you know, one of those big teams, I mean, she'd be winning races left and right. You know, they, they, they thought very highly of her, of her skill. Uh, Joanna had a lot of success racing late models and you know, she, she parlayed that into her opportunity in the Xfinity series. And I thought that she was going to be right up there racing with Danica in the cup series. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I think that Haley Deegan will get that opportunity. And while we're discussing all the females in NASCAR, Ben, um, the next one I'm going to bring up, uh, she, she didn't make a Cup start. She didn't make an Xfinity start. She didn't make a Truck Series start. But outside of maybe Janet Guthrie, she's probably been more influential than all of them. And that's Kelly Earnhardt. Um, mm-hmm. Because Kelly, is she plays, again, doesn't do justice when I say she plays an integral role at Junior Motorsports as a race team from the management side. But She's somebody who's incredibly savvy and has that experience of racing late models as well, and, and being successful in them. And uh, you know, and, and Kelly, uh, you know, I think she could she could have stepped into a truck or an extended car and, and and been very good. But um, mm-hmm. one cool thing about her was the fact that her home track when she raced late models, you know, we've talked about chance racing and how Dale Earnhardt kind of had Carrie positioned at, at Hickory Motor Speedway and Dale Junior positioned at Myrtle Beach, and then Kelly was at Tri-County Speedway, which is about 10 minutes from my hometown of Valdez. Um, as a matter of fact, the golf course, Orchard Hills, that uh, that, that my dad and I used to play a lot, it, uh, the, one of the, the greens overlooks that track. Um, and I went and saw a bunch of races there about 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, but it was about a decade after she had stopped racing. Um, but she was very successful there, and she drove that badass black, Number thirty-eight, late model, sponsored by uh, Bennett's Steakhouse and mm-hmm. um, and Mom and Pops, which was just too cool. If you're not from the Carolinas, you probably never heard of Bennett's or Mom and Pops, but um, you know, that was super cool. And she had a lot of talent. She she you know Dale Jr. said before that if she got the right break, she could have been the most successful of the Earnhardt kids behind the wheel. Uh, not just what she's been able to accomplish in the business world, in the business sense. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, also uh, as a driver, and there's probably a lot of truth to that because a well, lot of people said that she was very competitive and she just needed she she just didn't quite get the support she needed at the time she needed it.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah, and you know, I seem like I remember Dale Earnhardt telling me himself that that maybe Kelly was probably the best of the three. Yeah, you know, at one time Dale Junior would say that. Yeah, and uh, but you know what? Uh, sometimes things fate has a way of making things work out the way maybe the good lord too the sure. way things work out the way they should and you know i think uh, with dale jr i think the best right hand man so to speak uh, for him has been kelly and yeah she's she had a huge impact on him for sure very much so and she's been right there to sort of help sort of guide him in a lot of situations and they are they're joined at the hip, if you will, and they've been very complimentary of each other. And I'm gonna tell you something. I have interacted with Kelly and some uh some things with the National Motorsports Press Association mm-hmm. and various other uh articles that we've worked on together and yeah. stuff. And you couldn't ask for a more professional uh person to, to work with. Kelly is wonderful to work with on and very straight up about helping if you need something I mean, she's just the best of the best, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for her
1: Absolutely.
2: As, as a professional and just as nice a person as you could ever meet, and I don't know, I just, I, I can't say enough good about Kelly, she's just the greatest, and uh, you know, I, I served as president of the National Motorsports Press Association for a couple of years, and and, you know, little things. If we needed, uh, say, a, a blazer size or jacket size for Dale Jr., she could help with that. Just little things. Just, hey, I need a little yeah. help here and there. And she has been very, very kind and very helpful. And so, but yeah, very complimentary of, of her and very professional and enjoyed help and enjoyed working with her. And, and she's been a big help to me.
1: Yeah, Over and, the years. and for me as a journalist, when I wrote for Speed Sport, you know, I, I um, and even before then, I'd interact with Kelly on, on more than a handful of occasions, and she's super awesome. I uh, once covered an event at the NASCAR Hall of Fame where Kelly was there, where IndyCar racing legend and um, longtime announcer Lynn St. James was there, and Janet Guthrie as well, and did a story on Kelly about that, and certainly have written about a whole lot of her drivers, and 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 many many times I've written about her brother. Uh, For sure, both of them, honestly, because I've talked to Carrie, you know, quite a few times as well, Um, and I got to say that um, that my man Josh Berry in the Xfinity series uh, brought back the coolest throwback for the throwback 276 at Hickory Motor Speedway. This late model race that they run, they've been doing it since 2017. Um, I went to it this year. um, I think it was late July. It might have been early August. I don't really remember the date, but. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Barry won that race, actually. I went with my dad, and um, my buddy Nick met up with us, too. But um, before that, in 2017, the first time they did this race, Ben, Josh Barry in, in a junior motorsports car rolled out the big gun. He got the number thirty, the black number 38, Bennett Steakhouse, Mom and Pops on the hood, same mm-hmm. paint scheme, even Kelly Earnhardt above the door on one side of the car. It was too cool. Um so when I went, I had to show off my, uh, my Kelly Earnhardt, uh, I have a mom and pops, uh, Kelly Earnhardt hat from her team when she raised late models in the nineties at Tri County. So I had to show it to her and she got a kick out of that.
2: Mm. Um, yeah, you know, that's cool. It's Very just like
1: cool. a little bit too small for my head. Like it fits when my hair is like really, really short. But if I have like any thickness in my hair, it doesn't fit that good. just shave shave your head you'll have it yeah i mean well i have a pretty short haircut now so it's okay (laughs) but like you know it's you get like an average like length haircut and it ain't gonna happen because i have a huge head um but you know just enough to where i could still wear it so i didn't just have to have it for show but um i'm very proud of that and i thought it was cool that she got a kick out of that she's actually wearing one of her old mom and pop shirts too um I, I love those cars. Then, so that was cool to see that one and and, and have uh, and have Barry drive it, who's a really awesome dude. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's been a lot of fun, Ben. In this mm-hmm. episode, kind of just going through the history of females in NASCAR because, like like we said at the top of the the show, you know, I don't think that we've given them enough credit. I don't think a lot of people in the industry have given them enough credit, and certainly there are so many that are breaking into the sport now that you know, it's not just going to be Haley digging in the cup series. It's not just going to be her in the Xfinity series. You're going to see a lot of them. You're, you're going to, you're not going to see one every five years anymore. I, I really do think that trajectory is hopefully going to get easier in the very near future. And, um, mm-hmm. and we'll have to see, but in the meantime, Ben, I think that we have crossed the finish line on episode number 27. It's been a blast chatting up with you. I can't wait to do it again soon.
2: No, yeah, absolutely. We always have fun with these. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun, and we cover some great topics. And uh, hey, you just never know where we're gonna go, man. The, a lifetime of NASCAR is a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully, we have uh, a lot of insight for our fans. And we appreciate everyone uh, tuning in. We we you just never know what no, you never know what
1: area we're gonna cover. You never know where we're gonna go. Just like Ben when he's backing up his truck. Um, but <laughs> <That's> uh, <right. laughs> but yeah, right guys. Next. Might actually
2: hit a pine tree. We just never
1: know, man. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like you go in and tell her, Yeah, I hit a pine tree. Ben, you were in an empty field. I don't know how it happened. It just did. you um, just never know. But anyway, yeah, guys, throw a rating our way wherever you're listening, love to have your feedback. Um, but in the meantime, for backing up Ben White, I'm Aaron Burns. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of a lifetime of NASCAR. We'll be back in episode twenty eight very quickly. But in the meantime, so long everybody.